0: Broadcasting from Orchard Park, New York and Boca Raton, Florida, it's the Freight 360 podcast. From freight broker sales tips to sports talk, this podcast is all about helping you grow as a freight broker. We're your hosts, Nate Cross and Benjamin Kowalski. Let's talk freight. All right. Welcome back for another great episode of the Freight 360 podcast. We've got a great one today. We're going to you guys always love talking or when we talk about and go through uh, sales related stuff. So we're going to do some sales stuff today. Uh, We'll get to that in a second. Uh, If you're brand new, this is a great episode for you. Make sure to check out all the other 180 episodes in our library, wherever you listen to podcasts or right on our website at Freight360.net. Continue to send us episode topic requests and questions through the website and share it with all your friends. Um, I just saw our Facebook community is at like 65,000 members now, which is pretty awesome. Yeah, it is. Thanks, everybody, for that. Um, We mentioned before that we're going to be having a a series this year with Blue Book, talking about some of their various, um, you know, they've got the Produce Blue Book and now the, the Lumber Blue Book. So this episode is brought to you by... Lumber Blue Book. Are you looking to quickly identify qualified sales prospects? Looking to develop trusted, sustainable business partnerships? Look no further. The Lumber Blue Book is an online directory and credit resource for the lumber and forest products industry, covering mills, manufacturers, wholesalers, and retailers. Their database of over 23,000 lumber companies can be searched and segmented to develop sales and marketing campaigns. Members receive access to real-time credit and business information for companies throughout the industry. To learn more, go to LumberBlueBook.com and click Join Today. That's LumberBlueBook.com. And as always, there's ProduceBlueBook.com for the produce sites. Check those guys out. We're going to be having one of their folks on a couple times this year to talk through Lumber in detail. I'm pretty excited for it. So, good stuff. Ben, what's happening with
1: you? Not much down here. I mean... Same old, same old. Um, Got a little bit warm down here, but at least our weather's better than it was out in California. Huge storm came through. In fact, we were talking to a client in Fresno, or I was earlier today, and he had like a hoodie on and this puffy jacket. I'm like, what's going on out there? He's like, it's 32 degrees outside. He's like, it's freezing. Yeah. I saw like blizzard warning in LA last week
0: or over the weekend, whatever it was. And that's just wild. We actually, we got another little bit of snow here and. Western New York, but it's it's in the 50s today, so it's again it's melting. So
1: that's I know even on Dean's Market Watch earlier this week it said that this was that was the first blizzard warning in first blizzard warning in California in 30 years, and resulted in widespread road closures and crop losses for strawberry farmers due to freezing temperatures. So if that didn't make your like alarm bells go off for prospecting, if there's a shortage in strawberries (laughs) or there's going to be a freeze over. That's likely to be a good crop to prospect. Yep, exactly. Um, Sports,
0: I don't have a whole lot. The Bills defensive coordinator, Leslie Frazier, announced that he is going to be taking a year off. So I don't know if that's like a hint that they want him to quit or they're trying to fire him or what. But uh, who knows, man. Um, Anything in – oh, preseason baseball started. I'm a huge baseball guy, so I've been watching, you know, some preseason stuff. There's a new rule this year. There's like a – there's a couple changes. They've got like a new size for the uh the actual like bases. They're, they're a few inches bigger now. Hmm. So that's new. I, I don't know all the details on it. And then there's like a there's a new rule with pitching, and it resulted. I saw the one game I watched the other day. Like there was like three automatic strikes called due to something that the batter did or something like that, so I'll have to watch a little more and see what these new rules are, but it's oh, it's interesting how in sports they t- they, they kind of test out new rules periodically for different uh, sports to try to make it better. There's a pitch clock. They're trying to ma- basically make the game... They're Faster. trying to condense the time of the game down from just over three hours to closer to two and a half, so we'll see how uh, how that goes. I think, I think that's what the automatic strike was, like the player, the batter, like wasn't set in time or I don't know, something like that. Maybe who knows if I'm, if I'm wrong and you know more than me, just send us a message and I'll apologize publicly next week. So you got anything else around the world of sports? I don't. I got a good uh, freight uh, article that I read today that I just laughed. So like I I was on Freightways website says go to freightways.com. Check it out. The title of the article is ex office manager and son accused of stealing over $600,000 from freight brokerage. So basically, there's this brokerage in Minnesota and it's a mother and son that worked there. The mother was in accounting and the son was a broker. And basically like she embezzled like over half a million dollars out of their account to her own account that was somehow like hidden behind some un detectable account. And then she was like dishing it out to her son as well. Uh, like over a quarter million dollars each. So they just stole $600,000 worth of just money out of that bank account. So I I, I was like, I wondered over th- myself like, over three years, over three years. Yeah. So I, but I wondered myself like, who thinks they're going to do that and get away with it? Like I get the whole, you know, I'm sure there's a bunch of small embezzlement things that go on un- unnoticed. Right you got a transaction that goes here or maybe a duplicate transaction that goes to something you don't recognize, but $600,000. I mean, they're both wrong, but 600 K the one, the one to the sun was like 200 and some K over three transactions. Like those are big transactions. So I don't know, man. Wait a minute. That was over how many transactions? The sun's was, I'm looking at it now. Let's see here. It was, uh, uh let's see. According to the criminal report, Griner's Bank told blah 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 It had located approximately $250,000 in ACH transactions in 2022 that were transferred from the brokerage to the former office manager's personal bank account. And then the son the suspicious wire their suspicious wire transfers three the payments totally over. started in May 2019, 2 months after Vicky Griner began working uh, and continued through December 22. And the sons was um, Brandon Griner alleged receiving more than $268,000 in unauthorized ACH payments over a 14 month period. I thought it said it was only three transactions though. Oh no, here it is. It does is. later. Brandon Griner had transferred three payments totaling over $182,000 from his account to his mom's account in 2022. So, all right, she brought money to to him and then he rotted money back to her. And here's what's interesting. It says, um, Brandon Griner or whatever his name is recently posted a message on a freight broker forum on Facebook stating, we have a few agents with multiple years of experience. We are looking to expand into more, a few more markets with experienced freight broker agents. A few of us specialize in the bulk side of trucking and one of us is in the van reefer side looking to expand even more into the van reefer side, along with adding flatbed LTL sprinter and other lanes. Um, So yeah, apparently uh, he got his own authority granted in January of this year and he's just trying to go start his own thing. So if you get a job opportunity from a company called zero transport LLC, you should run as fast (laughs) as possible. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Crazy wow. man! You can't make this stuff up. Like you, it's funny. Like I, I'll, I'll just read what people write in Facebook groups and like Reddit about brokering, and I'll see that like the funny stuff from Freight Caviar too, and it's like no matter you think you've seen it all, and then something just happens, and you're like, really, that's the industry that we work in, man. There's some, there's some wild, wild childs, wild children. So, there you go. There's your fraud story for the day. Um. All right. Well, good stuff. Let's give a shout out to our friends over at DAT and hop into it.
1: Tired of struggling to find accurate rates and the right carriers for your freight? With DAT1, you can access more than 500 million posted loads and trucks every year. That's three times more capacity than any other load board. Plus, their integrated freight management system makes it easy to cover loads 24-7. They've got the most trusted network of carriers, brokers, and shippers in the industry, and you'll get real-time rates on every lane so you'll know exactly how much a shipment will cost before you commit to it. Plus, you get instant access to top bids from qualified carriers around the country. Take advantage of a free month with a link in the show notes. Absolutely.
0: Good stuff. Um, So today's topic. One of our listeners reached out, so thank you very much. He gave us a couple of topic requests. So today's topic, um, as you can tell by the title of the show, is I have a customer willing to work with me. Now what? Now what? (laughs) Yeah. So where do you want to start with this one? Because this is we're
1: going to go down a rabbit hole of a bunch of thoughts here. But yes, I think we're going to we'll start by defining our starting point meaning this can mean a few things and where you should start in this process is clarifying where the start is in the conversation so whether it's a shipper saying hey we'll give you an opportunity or we'll give you a shot you know that's a yes but what steps do we need to go from there maybe the first maybe where you're at right now is the customer has agreed to onboard onboard you or maybe it's the other way around. Maybe the customer said, "Hey, I got a load that's move that needs moved right now, and they're willing to send it to you, but you haven't been onboarded." All three are likely yeses, but have many steps after it, right? So let's go through. Yeah, one I, I, I want to add to that too because the starting point. There's
0: a you could have the the verbal yes. You know, you talked to them a few times. Like, yeah, I'll give you a shot. Okay, it yep. could be that. Um, Like you said, they've got a load that you called and they offered it to a bunch of people and you're one of them, but you're not actually on board yet. It could be that um, you just were emailing them and they emailed you back a vendor setup packet, but no loads to work on, you know, nothing like that. There's things that you got to look at internally on your end, too, because we're going to we're going to talk about the, the customer setup requirements on both their end. And on your end as the broker internally, depending on if you run your own brokerage or you have to follow the SOPs of the, the agent-based company you work for or the W-2-based company you work for. But then we're going to talk through the strategy of how do we take this yes into a, hey, we're doing business and we're making money, right? That's, that's kind of the, the journey we're going to walk through today.
1: So let's go through and I didn't realize this cuz it's something again I kind of take for granted but someone asked us about someone asked me about this one of our clients earlier today. So let's just go through the Barney style 101 level the sales cycle and freight brokerage. So first step, you've got to get them to know like or trust you, right? There's got to be some rapport. Like that is step 1 because if you don't have that nothing is going to follow. So that's yep. your first step. From there, it's usually understanding a little bit about the business at which point in time you have found a need or they have expressed they need help with something. One of the two things, right? So now we arrive at that step. Well, the next usual step is you've got to be approved through what is typically their procurement department. And why I put that in air quotes is if it's a very small company, procurement could just be the guy tendering loads signing off on you being a carrier. It could be the owner of the company if it's that small. Yes, it could just be the same person. Now, the bigger the company, the more people, the more processes. And just again, 101 level. Procurement is just buying things from the company's perspective. Right. So the procurement department is really just the same department that buys everything for the company, everything from toilet paper to light bulbs to doorknobs to the raw materials that go into rolling steel coils if they're in that industry. Right. It's everything they purchase. Right. All the vendors. Yep. And the reason, yes, it centralizes because that is another main function. Not only are they overseeing all of the costs of every vendor that sells anything to that company, right? They are also the ones that approve them and manage them and make sure that the payments go to the right people for the right thing. So they're managing the the accounting side and also just how money goes out to buy things for that company. So again, that's why it's not uncommon if it's a bigger company For you to talk to a warehouse and then to say, no, our carriers are approved seven states away through our headquartered office. This is why all of those vendors have to be approved at the company level or the corporate level. And once you're approved, you're then in the system to be an approved vendor. Now, that doesn't mean you're getting any business from them. The next step is again to your point, Nate. Like actually, more of the sales side and asking questions and having conversations to get them to actually award you business, so that you guys can actually do business together.
0: Yeah. So I want to I want to drill down on that that vendor setup process for the the onboarding part. So we went through one today, um, where one of our brokers is onboarding a new customer, and we don't have a big lengthy packet that they have to fill out and sign. But the customer does for our brokerage to be approved, to be tendered loads and to be paid. But it, there it was very lengthy. So there was like, they're like, we have like five or six divisions and based on which loads, you, what division you're hauling loads for, they need to be billed and invoiced to this specific entity under this address and to this email address and whatnot. And each separate one had its own contract. And then, in addition, they're like, "We need proof of your insurance because we have this special insurance requirement for it was like a twenty five thousand dollars bond. It's it, it's above and beyond the standard twenty five k surety bond that brokers hold. So they needed proof of that. So you got to make sure that you check all the boxes with a customer. So these are questions that you need to be." Asking to your customer, when you get that yes, you want to identify what does that process look like? Some of these small ones, it might be nothing. It might just be find me a truck and then send me an invoice. Where the other ones, it could be a very, very lengthy process with a lot of paperwork, back and forth, or anywhere in between those two spectrums. Easiest way to find out, right, is
1: simply just ask, right? And you don't need to go overboard. You don't really need to remember any of a lot of the complicated things in some other scenarios. All you have to remember is to just ask, hey, can you just give me a ballpark or kind of walk me through what your general onboarding process is for a carrier um, or your vendor approval process or, you know, what is your typical onboarding process for a new broker or a new carrier? Any of those questions, kind of however you phrase it, will usually get you the answer. Oh, there's a group of people. Oh, it's just this person. Oh, there's a process. And then whatever you get, make sure you get a clear understanding. So ask follow-up questions. Oh, so this is the person. Because what you're also trying to figure out is, one, what is the average time frame to do this? Exactly. I've had some take 14 months after I've gotten a yes. I've had some happen in the next 15 minutes. So again, it is a very wide range. The bigger the company, usually the longer it takes, the smaller, usually less hoops to jump through. But what you're also trying to figure out when you're asking this question is you want to know who the decision maker is and actually greenlighting it. Yep. Because if you got a soft yes and they're like, hey, I think we can work together, but I would need to get you approved. You want to know what is that next obstacle you've got to get over. So it's not only the time frame, so you get a good feel for the lay of the land, but you want to know, who you have to lobby against, right? Who you've got to get to want to work with you, right? Yep. Who is the ultimate decision maker, right?
0: I'll give you another another example. So like if you do anything with the government, like military, right? We had one of these today as well. Uh, luckily, we're already set up with, with uh, you, the with Department of Defense, but we had a guy come and he's like, hey, you know, I've got this opportunity to move this military equipment. Um, they got X amount of lanes going from this base to this base. And they directed him that you have to go register your SCAC with SDDC, which is the Surface Distribution employment Command. Yeah. And you have to make sure that your company is set up and approved through Syncata, which is the their payment. payment. Mm-hmm. That's the, like, the payables department or whatever the government uses through their bank to be able to receive or to send invoices and receive payments. So like they're billing, they might have a third party billing company or, process that is in addition to just sending invoices. We see this a lot with companies that tender and do all their billing through an online um, like portal essentially. And if you're missing a single document, the clock does not start ticking for them, for that invoice to
1: age according to them. Yeah, and I'll give you an example. One of my customers operates that way. So underneath their main company umbrella There are three companies that tender loads that look identical. The only way you can tell they're tendered by different companies, if you look in the upper left hand corner has a different company name, there's three of them. And each one of those, if you don't catch it and indicate it correctly in your TMS, the invoicing is different for all three of those companies. One is an international company. So, again, like. This is why some companies, it takes longer because you gotta be approved by every one of them and you gotta be set up so that one, when your invoices get sent to them, they get approved and paid and don't end up in your scenario, like in limbo, right? Because if you send an invoice to somebody, even if you've moved freight, but yet their payable side and something in their procurement didn't get done correctly, you just won't get paid. And I've had that happen where it takes months sometimes after the fact, and you're like, why are these invoices that, you know, 40 days. And then all of a sudden, as you're figuring it out, the clock's still ticking. Like there's some, we didn't catch until 60 days and found out, and it wasn't our fault, but like procurement's like, oh, we forgot to tell you, or we forgot to do something on our end that made sure the payables team could approve your invoices. And you're like, oh, and then the clock starts all the way over again. Cause the yep. payables team looks at when they can approve it. And then it's like, well, now it's 30 days from now. So on our end, it's like 90 or hundred days from their point of view, it's like, well, it was only 25 days. But again, this is why details matter at the onset when you're doing the onboarding and making sure all of these hoops are done or T's are, you know, crossed and I's are dotted.
0: Yeah. And meanwhile, you've already paid a truck at three days or 21 days, or maybe you quick paid them like within a couple of days.
1: Factoring
0: or your cost of funds is ringing up every day. It gets real, real messy. All right. So we'll say you get through that process. Okay, you've got your contractual legal stuff all done. But you're not going to make any money until you've actually got loads covered and delivered. So I, I would say the next step, and this is likely part of this conversation you're going to have with them on with onboarding, is what does it look like to present them with a quote for a lane? Do they have a list that goes out every day? Do you need to be calling them each morning? Do they are they going to email you um, as things pop up? Just whenever they get an order and needs a truck, just ad hoc, one by one by one, you want to know what that process looks like. And you can ask them, is there anything right now that
1: they need work done? So let's talk through that process a little bit. And I think the first thing is, again, what you want to do is simply ask this question from a general standpoint or a very high level point of view. So not real specific, but general. And I'm going to ask a question like, hey, can you give me a general idea on kind of how you guys tender freight And they might say, well, what do you mean? I'm like, you know, just on average, like how do you normally distribute it? I'm guessing some of it goes directly to asset carriers, maybe some of your last minute loads, then go to the spot market. But do you tender them through like your TMS? Do you email them out? Do you email lists? Like what is your preferred, you know, manner of operation, right? Well, however you want to phrase that, like what's your preferred way of actually just getting trucks or communicating with your brokers and carriers, right? And then just listening, right? Because it could be any number of things. They could be sending some lists, some loads directly to carriers, some directly to brokers. And then as new loads come up, if they can't secure capacity, then they go to the spot market or brokers. But you want to know from their point of view what it is, because also what they're going to likely tell you is what are their preferences in operating? Maybe yeah. they like emailing them. Maybe they like sending them through the TMS. Maybe they like doing one or the other or both, but it's that's where you should start, I think.
0: Yeah, I think you want to identify, too, what specific chunk of their business are you intending to work on? And the answer shouldn't always be everything, right? Because they might have some LTL stuff that goes out. They might have some reefer stuff, some dry van, some specialized open deck that requires uh, special equipment and permits and whatnot. And if you're not, if you don't have good LTL pricing or any knowledge of, of heavy haul or oversized, you don't want to be trying to work on all the all the all that different freight that they've got there if you you know you want to identify even within let's say their dry van freight is there a few lanes that they're running each week that they're trying to find better options on right now the goal is to get in and you can get in small and show that beyond that trust and rapport you've built that you can also deliver on your promise and guarantee to them. So you want to identify yeah. where that specific starting point is for you. And you probably learned a bunch of that, or at least a little bit about it during your prospecting calls with them when they've told you about how they operate, what lanes they run. They'll t- typically tell you, or at least allude to some pain points, which is the reason they're going to be bringing you in.
1: Again, and, he- and here's some things I think, It's a little bit of a, it's a little more high level, but one of my favorite techniques for, to solve both of these things is to use one to solve the other. So for instance, let's say I've been talking with, we'll say a a mid to a little bit larger company, where it's a formal procurement process. And let's just say they say, look, it's going to usually takes a couple months, but as soon as we get this over to them, legal approves it, then it goes to the department. Once they green light it, then we can tender you freight, Right. So you're kind of in limbo waiting for these things, even once you get the yes. What I try to do is I try to find an urgent need that I can use to leverage them to force the contract. So for instance, right, if as I'm talking to them, waiting for this time and my approval to go through, I'm doing exactly what Nate talked about. I'm trying to find some urgent need. And I do that by basically positioning myself and my value proposition as I'm the guy that's going to help you get probably the harder loads covered in the least amount of time. That's my strong suit. If you got something coming up over the next couple of weeks, you know about it and it's an easy load that goes to an asset care. Like that's not a good fit for me. I won't compete on price. They're a better fit. What I'm a better fit for is the load that you just found out at three in the afternoon that has to pick up today that the truck didn't show up because somebody missed it, didn't tell you, but it's still got to go. Otherwise your customer's going to be screaming at you. That's what I can help out best with, right? Yeah. Yeah. Now, exactly. let's say I, I get that. Now, let's say it takes a couple of weeks. I'm still well within my three or four month expected time frame. But let's say one of these instances comes up and they go, hey, you know what, Ben? I do. I did find like or I get a phone call out of the blue. It's four in the afternoon. Look, I know it's late notice. I know this isn't likely. But if you got a truck that's empty near us, do you think you can check for me? I am going to do everything in my power in the next 45 minutes to get them a truck. Right. And again, I might even take it for a loss because it's my first load to get onboarded with a large opportunity. And I might say, look, hey, I'll help you out on this one. In fact, I might even take a loss to give them that truck. I will tell them that because, again, I don't want them under the assumption that I can keep doing it. But I'll be like, look, That's- I took this on the chin to help you guys out. I know you're jammed up. I can't do it indefinitely. But, hey, kind of this one's on me because guess what they have to do next in order for me to give them that truck? They got your co- the contract pushed through.
0: And mm. the, other, the other thing too, and I'll, I'll add to it, is uh, two things. One, you could also just tell them, like, I'm not adding any margin to this whatsoever. I'm going to do this at cost <clears throat> for you and just be totally transparent about it. And again, the reason being that I'm, I want to show you my value with yeah. the expectation and the hope that we can do some, some long-term business. And the second part is the reason you want to be transparent about that. Is so that you don't set an expectation that you're this miracle worker that just has a secret sauce for cheap trucks or inexpensive Mm -hmm. transportation. Like you're just being honest, like this is not what it will normally cost. But I'm going to do you a solid right now because I really value the long term relationship that we're looking to have here. And you can build on that. Like I don't I don't want to be a transactional partner with anybody. I don't want to be use me when you need me. I want to be a long-term extension of your supply chain and of your logistics department overall for your organization. And for that reason, I I want to show show you a good, you know, out of good faith up front, but with the expectation that I'm intending and planning on being a long-term partnership and solution for you guys. So transparency goes a long way. Otherwise, you set the bar very low and they're going to wonder why. Why is it more expensive next week or tomorrow or two days from now?
1: Absolutely. It's like one of these things, right? It's very similar to like a first impression, right? This is your first impression working with them. And you don't want to set, like Nate said, the expectation or the tone that you are the discount provider because then every load after that will be compared to it why is it getting more expensive? Oh, as soon as we got them on board and now the prices go up, doesn't that always happen? And even if they don't say that, that's somewhere in the back of their mind, right? So when you just immediately address it, when you're doing it, they can understand and expect a fair rate moving forward, right? That's 90% of why you're doing it. And again, like you said, it leverages them to now go send an urgent email to legal and to the transportation department and go, look, we need BTV transportation approved. Can you green like this in the next 20 minutes? They've got a truck, we need it for this urgent customer. Things get approved very quickly. Yeah. A um, yep. couple other questions, and I want to circle back a little bit because I thought of a few that we've gotten in the past couple of weeks on this topic that I think are helpful. One of the questions was, Let's say you're going through the procurement process, the onboarding, right? Where they're going through their insurance requirements. And one of the questions we got was, let's say that requirement is a little bit of above normal. Let's say it's, you know, we'll call it 200 and 500 or 200 and a million. I don't know. What's a little bit above your standard requirements that you see? Half a million and a. For what? For contingent and general. Like what is a little bit above oh, general you're-
0: liability, you're gonna see they want a million. Um larger, yeah, big international companies might want like upwards of three million for like a, like a umbrella policy. Government could be up to five million on certain things. Um contingent cargo, I've seen a hundred K, I've seen requirements of two hundred and fifty K. Um
1: so question, right? The question we got is, let's say there, your normal shippers you work with are at a hundred thousand contingent and a million general. And let's say your new customer is at 250 and 2 million, right? The question we got is, does the brokerage have to have 250 and 2 million? Does every carrier you send in there have to have 250 and 2 million or one or the other, right? Yeah, that's something that you have to definitely talk to your customer about, and it should be outlined in their contract.
0: But the biggest thing to point out and you know, oftentimes, well, I shouldn't say often, but enough times that it's worth mentioning. There is a traffic manager or a vendor approving person that doesn't know the difference between the insurance coverage that we as brokers carry and the insurance coverage that the motor carrier covers. So yep. or carries. So, for example, a contingent cargo policy is not the same as a primary cargo policy, and our general liability policy is not the same as the carrier's liability auto liability policy. Okay, they're they're two different things, uh, and it's by design because our job as a broker, we don't own the assets, we are not going to have primary cargo insurance. That being said, you can purchase it if you wanted to. That you can like we we had load on in the past. As a broker, you can buy a single load all-risk policy that will act as the primary policy, but in the general, you know, the rule and not the exception is the carrier is the one responsible to carry a certain insurance. So, you want to talk to your – make sure your customer and you are on the same page about who, you know, who has to have what insurance because it's going to be different between broker and the actual carrier.
1: And um, I think – yeah, I ahead. also want to point out one of the things that is most common and I think most redlined in these agreements is when you are a broker and you're getting a, an agreement that is written for a carrier. Then you should absolutely be redlining carrier and changing that to broker. And then you should absolutely question the shippers insurance requirements because what they're doing is... Is trying to treat an Apple like an orange, trying to treat your insurance as a broker the same as a carrier, and they are not the same. Nor is it, I don't, is it safe to say it's not legal to treat a brokerage as a carrier under map, was it map 21?
0: Yeah, but they if this is where it gets messy, because if it's all about what somebody can can prove in a court of law, right? So if a broker does not push back and they sign a contract that states that they're a carrier and an accident happens, you can be held liable as a carrier. If that shipper or customer can prove the, can prove it to a judge that you represent, you misrepresent yourself and that you as a, act carrier. As a carrier. Okay. Mm-hmm. The same thing goes in, if we, if we try to control a carrier beyond a certain... And again, I'm not a legal expert, but I've, I've seen this stuff happen with contracts. If we try to control a carrier to a certain extent, and that could be telling a carrier which route to take, like which roads to take instead of them doing mm-hmm. it themselves. As little as that, we are controlling that carrier beyond our legal authority as a broker. And that would then put us... It would you could you could argue a point that we were acting as the motor carrier ourselves. Um, so and we're we're going that's kind of get, getting down a rabbit hole of insurance that's a little bit different, and that's not the intent of this this topic today. But it is extremely important that with these larger customers that have intricate contracts, you there's got to be a legal review process. And if you don't know the legal side of things and how contracts read, it is highly advised that you have. Some legal professional that you can rely on, whether it's on a per case basis or you've got a, you know, a, you get them on a retainer or whatever it might be. You should not just be saying like, mm, yeah, this sounds good. Let me just sounds sign it good. up and back. <laughs> so, yeah, it's uh and again, not to go down the rabbit hole of insurance, but there are some customers that it seems easy to get in with as long as you sign their contract, because there's other smart brokers that are like, I'm not signing that. It puts way too much
1: liability well, on it. And here's one that I came across again, just in the past couple of weeks was a shipper that had huge insurance requirements. Like, I can't remember what they were. I want to say they were like a half a million and five million for contingent in general. Right. And then they were like, I got onboarded pretty quickly. And I'm like, why do you think that was? And they went, well, what do you mean? I'm like, well, how limited do you think your carrier base would be if you required every carrier that picked up your freight to have five times the, you know, the industry average, right? There's going to be a much smaller number amount of carriers that can actually even meet those requirements. So guess what? Every time they need a truck, they've got less they can pick from. So of course they're going to to pay for a single load policy. Yeah. Right. So what they're doing is they're letting you do that work for them as a broker. They're like, Hey, we've got very high requirements. Absolutely. We're on board you now go work for free and go find us a bunch of these carriers that we haven't found yet. Yep. Like, now, again, that doesn't mean it's not worth it. It's just going to show you that like how these things can affect other things.
0: Yeah, we've got like we have uh, a customer that they do some really, really expensive stuff that they move like mobile, like basically like a mobile power plant. So like to run oil fields or, or like wind turbines for like installation of uh, a wind turbine farm. And we've had loads that are valued at over $20 million. And imagine if we had booked a truck that either did not have the policy in place for for that dollar amount. Or if we didn't purchase one ourselves for it and there was a a total loss, we would be on the hook for $20 million. Yeah. Yeah, So it's really important to make sure you understand this stuff. So anyway, not to go down a, a tangent with the with the insurance stuff. What I want to hit on though is because uh, I know I don't want to, we don't want to go too long on this, but you get that first load, all right? We kind of talk through how you get to that point. And what people often forget is like, what, what next after that first one? Well, your goal then is to get the second load and no better time to ask for, and again, I'm saying the word ask, don't wait for them yep. but to ask for that second load. Either while you're working on that first one, while that first one's in transit, or no later than when you're calling to confirm delivery occurred, right? So when you're calling Absolutely. to give your customer the update that that first load went good, right? You 100%, no later than that point, should you be asking about the the next follow-on business for them. At yeah. least to get an expectation, right? You're not expecting that you're going to get six loads right away, but they might say, hey, I don't have anything right now, but we have something coming up Thursday, Or we have something coming up next week, whatever that is. And that gives you another reason to, to make the next steps with them.
1: And you also have reciprocity moving forward with you, right? Like when you have just gone above and beyond to do something for someone else, they are going to feel compelled to do something again for you, right? So you're literally using the momentum and the psychological technique of reciprocity to get them to give you the next one and to keep that momentum rolling. Yeah. If you let that stop and let it gap, and then call them a week or two later, like you've lost it. And now let's 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 not
0: run past the idea of. Hey, that lane we just ran for you. How often do you run that? And yes. oh, by the way, talk to the carrier. How often would you like to run this lane? Are, are you always available every Tuesday in whatever city? Because if you can yes. if you can
1: plug those two in together, boom, low hanging fruit. Yes. 100%. The best place you can be after you run your first load is to have a carrier that wants to run that lane consistently. And the carrier's like, hey, that lane was great. Can you get that for me every week? And you call the shiver back and be like, hey, how was the carrier? How was the service? Oh, it was great, great, and great. Awesome. Hey, what is the chances of me being able to book this guy weekly for you? Because, again, this carrier had really fit in their schedule as well. The rate worked for you. The work worked for him. Seemed like everybody was happy. Could we do this on a consistent basis, right? Yeah, and
0: if you can give give predictability and consistent work to a carrier – the cost to procure them, to get get a truck from them is going to go down versus a standard spot load posting on a load board. Hey, I need this yep. covered now. Um yeah, that's the risk. Exactly. That's exactly right. So yeah, definitely strike while the iron is hot. So and I definitely want to, you know, in a future episode, we'll we'll dive into what this growth process looks like. Once you're starting to work on some spot lanes from a customer, because the goal is like you start with that first spot load, but the goal is to have consistent, contracted, repeat, predictable business with them over the long term. But that process to get from that first load to that consistent business doesn't happen overnight. It's not the flip of a switch. There is a song and dance to get through from the beginning to where you are a repeat provider for transportation for them. It could take it could take three months. It could take
1: three years. So- well, here's the thing, right? The more work you do and the more you talk to them, the more trust they have. The quicker you get to them really trusting and knowing you, the quicker you get to that place. Now, there's always the uncontrollable, which is the demand and the marketplace conditions that will play into this. But at the end of the day, it is the number one thing that you can do to control and speed up this process. The yep. more you can talk to them, the more you can bond with them, the more you can. I mean, this isn't what this episode is about, but the more you can find out personally about them, do they have kids, what they do on the weekend? What are their interests? The more of those conversations you can have, the more they're going to know you as a human being and the more they're quickly, they're going to trust you.
0: Yeah. And I'll add in here. Lastly, the there is I don't have statistical data on this, but I'd be willing to bet there's a high correlation um, as such. The easier it is to get onboarded with the shipper, the harder it's going to be to land that, to actually get that first tender. And yes. the harder it is to build that relationship and get through the onboarding process, the easier it likely is to get that first shipment out of them. And what do I mean by that? Okay. If you, if you reach out to a shipper over email and they just say, sure, I'll add you to my list, right? You've built no rapport with them. Uh, they might not even remember your company name. Or you only the only reason they're going to use name. you is because of one thing. You come in right. cheaper than the rest of their providers. Yeah. Whereas if you spent, two, three months over a dozen calls getting to know this individual on a personal level and understanding what their job is like and where their pain points are, they're going to know exactly where you fit in to a solution for them. And it should be that much easier for you to get tendered that first load. So um, keep that in mind. But uh, good stuff. We got some listener Q&A here. uh, But first, a shout out to our friends over at lean solutions group looking to take your freight brokerage or agency to the next level. Look no further than lean solutions group. They are industry leaders in nearshore staffing for logistics companies with offices located in South America, Mexico, and the Philippines. See, I updated it. We've got the locations now. Nice. They offer a wide range of exciting positions, including freight broker back office operations, accounting, tech and web development, business development, marketing, customer service, and more. Don't miss out on the opportunity to work with the best in the business. Visit their website at www.leangroup.com to learn more about the exciting solutions that they have to offer your freight brokerage or agency. righty. right. First question here. What is the most effective way to get leads? And I'm actually going to I'm going to incorporate the second question. Is there a secret sauce to finding leads? Um, <laughs> so I I'm going to give my High level answer, and then we'll drill down. There is a if there are different efficient ways to get different sorts of leads, and there's not a secret sauce to finding leads, but there is a there is a way in which you can gather leads easier um, than others. So if you want to call that a secret sauce, then sure. Um. So let's talk through this, right? We we've, we've talked through different lead generation sources, right? Your Google, LinkedIn, uh, some of your paid, you know, like your, uh, what's the Zoom info,
1: right? That's Zoom, one in, of them. Yeah, Zoom info is the most expensive, probably the most efficient. LinkedIn, Sales, navig- sales Navigator, you're not really getting phone numbers, but pretty effective at finding points of contact and names. Yep. Um, Data Axle, which used to be Reference USA, is a free yep. database that allow you to pull... Tens of thousands of leads, very very quickly, with phone numbers and companies, but no names. Produce blue book, lumber Produce, blue book. Blue book, blue book yeah. Right, if you're,
0: if you're industry specific, here's what I'd recommend. Okay, if you're brand new and you're like, I I need to get started. What do I do? Well, the goal here, your first 500 to a thousand calls probably aren't going to lead to anything extremely fruitful or remember or memorable. But the point is, you're going to be fine tuning and honing in on your ability to effectively have a sales call and a cold call. So you want to get a lot of leads and start hammering out calls. What I would probably do, if your company does not provide you with a database already, the Data axle, which used to be Reference USA, like Ben, like you mentioned, is available through your public library on their website. You can go in there and search for, let's say, 100 companies that work in X, Y, and Z you know, industry, which could be, um, you know, plastic, you know, components for, I don't know, I'm just making this up, right? Or it could be uh, shingles for residential houses or um, brick for commercial building or whatever, right? And you just get a hundred companies with an address and a phone number. That is a very efficient way to gather leads, right? What you don't know is, you don't know who the person you're supposed to be calling is. You don't know a whole lot about their company or where they ship, but you've got a very efficient way to get a lot of leads. Now, if you want to go over like to the secret sauce part, if you're doing a good job and you've got some customers, this referral concept is a very, very effective, quote unquote, secret sauce to getting business yeah. and having it be a, a, a very high likelihood that it's going to convert. You've got somebody that can vouch for you, recommending you to someone else they know that needs what you do. Um, And then there's every, you know, there's a whole spectrum between those two, two ways of doing it. What would you add in there on uh, efficient efficiency or any kind of secret sauce or tips when it comes to lead gen?
1: I look for big macroeconomic trends that are likely to hold true within it. Right. So I thought we talked about this in an episode or two ago, like, came across an article that there are huge investments in manufacturing like 3 hours outside of Laredo in Mexico. Lots of Chinese companies spending billions of dollars in new manufacturing plants, like 30 or 40 of them. So, a massive increase in freight just coming from that that, you know, Mexican Texas border. I'm like, okay, well, if you're going to do that, there's likely going to cause some disruptions or changes in the market. Then I'm going to go look and start calling some companies and see if what I'm hearing on the ground matches up with what it looks like from the sky. If you find that, in any one specific niche, because it's usually not all of them. Maybe it is, but that's what I'm using my prospecting calls to uncover. Hey, and I'll call again. In your example, I'm gonna call a hundred different companies, maybe in that in that region. That's what I group them together, and I group them together by the likeness of that topic. Yep. I'm gonna call every one of them and go, Hey, you know, honestly, like I've been come across a couple articles where there's just a huge investment in a manufacturing, literally just a couple hours down the road. How is that impacting you guys? Are you seeing that? Is that making a difference? everybody might say no. And then, okay, I spent one day and it didn't go any further, but I might get 20% of them that say, yeah, it actually is. And then within those, if I find that it's affecting them, I will then look for more of those companies that are similar to the one that told me they're being affected because that's the most likely place for me to uncover an opportunity.
0: I'll say another, uh, this is more on the effectiveness side versus efficiency, but don't be afraid to use multiple lead gen sources to get all the information you need. So you could pull hundred steel yes. companies off of a reference website or off out of a chamber of commerce or off of zoom info, whatever, right. Then you might cross reference LinkedIn or their website or Google or zoom info to find an ad or a phone number and a person that's a good person to reach out to. And then you might couple that up with, their website or something else, a trade uh, trade organization to find out the specific um, commodity within that group of commodities that they're shipping and where they service. And then you this is all done in, in your lead gen time, right? You're not making phone calls yet, but you're going through and you're getting 100 leads, 100 phone numbers, you know, 100 names, whatever that might be. And you're cross referencing your different sources to fill in the blanks. You don't want to just call up a random 800 number not know who to ask for or what time they're even open or where they're located or any of that stuff. You want to have a, a, at minimum a few points of information or data on this lead before you call and reach out to them. So yep, good stuff. Man. Um, and if you guys want to know more about lead gen, just go to our website, go to the content section and there's a searchable database. Just type in prospect. And you'll, you'll find short form videos, long form podcasts, blogs, all that good stuff on there. Um, all right, lastly, how can I navigate a non-compete if I want to switch companies? So this one came through, I think it was, my, it was either Facebook or somewhere else. Um, and they, they specifically name-dropped TQL, but this, this um, concept applies at a lot of companies. And how do you navigate a non-compete? Well, i would start at the beginning here. If you're not working for a company yet, Um, talk to them about the non-compete before you start. Understand what it is that you're signing. Are they telling you you can't go work anywhere in the industry for two years, regardless of where it's located? Even if you don't touch your old customers, I probably wouldn't work for that company. But let's say you find yourself in a position where um, you did sign a non-compete and a non-solicitation, a non-disclosure agreement, and you're looking at leaving to go elsewhere. I'm not a lawyer, but I've gone through this myself and I hired a lawyer and I went through my specific situation. Here's the paperwork that was part of my employment contract. Here's the situation of how me leaving this company is happening. And here's what I'm looking to do next. How does that story coupled with my goal of what I want to do? How does that all look given this document exists that I signed? Right. And a lawyer based on where you live and that situation will give you sound advice. Um, also, if you're talking to a new company about switching to them, make sure that they are aware that you have that you're bound to a specific um, restrictive covenant and that, you know, give them share that feedback from a legal professional on what they're telling you. Because um, what's really bad is if somebody, you hire somebody and they don't tell you they had to not compete. And then all of a sudden, a an overnight and, up, and you're you got like a cease and desist being sent to your brokerage because you hired somebody and you just wasted potentially a lot of time, money, and resources to get that person um, vetted and hired and onboarded and all that stuff. So, just I would be upfront about it. And if you, I would go as far as to talk to your company, if you know that, like, let's say you work for a mid-sized company. And um, they're not notorious for suing former employees. But let's say you know that you've hit your maximum ability to perform there and you want to move on and do something different. The right thing to do in a vanilla situation where no one did wrong by anyone else is to talk, talk to your boss. Like, hey, I'm looking to leave here. Um, I know I've got this non-compete. I'd like to negotiate this to a, a reasonable You know, reasonable terms so that we can both have a win-win and not go through a legal battle and and burn bridges. So for six months, I'm not going to touch any customers that I worked with here. It'll give you guys a chance to, you know, maintain those relationships, blah, 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 Um, You know, the whole I have a good feeling that non-competes, just the non-compete part, not the solicitation but the actual non-compete part. It sounds like the FTC is really pushing to make them not applicable in a variety of industries, including ours. But as of today, March 1st, 2023, they still are legal. Now, how are they enforced? It depends on the state. It depends on the county in that state. There's a whole lot that goes into it. But there's no black and white answer to this. The 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 advice and feedback we'll give you is talk to a legal professional. Um, don't do anything unethical or that can get you in a, a lot of trouble down the road and cause, causing you, you know, the money you'd have to defend yourself and potentially losing your job because you lied or he- withheld information. Um, talk to a professional about it. that's what I'd say.
1: We think, yeah, pretty extensive explanation. Thank yeah, you
0: <laughs> we did a whole episode on non competes, I think. Yeah, so you can probably yeah. look at that, go to our library and search for it. So, good stuff, man. Good stuff. Um, coming up just so you guys can earmark your uh, your calendars are, we're gonna be doing, I think it's in two weeks. No, we're doing, it's not until April actually. We're doing, i um, just thinking about the, the produce blue book that we're doing. Is that March or is that April? I feel like we got one in March, maybe not.
1: I'm have my counter in front of right now.
0: Anyway, we got it's we're, we'll be starting this this uh Blue book series really really soon here. So it's going to be what we're going to do is we're going to look through on the produce side, we're going to look at commodities that are in season right now. And also, we're going to we're going to highlight a, a commodity that's coming up in the near future, maybe a couple months out so you can prepare your prospecting for it. So we're going to do a few of those throughout the year. We're going to do a couple on the lumber side of brokerage and blue book and we'll do just a generic produce episode as well to go through some best practices so stay tuned and that's going to be kicking off in the next month here and going through uh throughout you know all the way throughout the fall towards the end of the year so good stuff
1: I, uh, I came across this quote last week that I thought was pretty, it just stuck with me. And it's funny because this was a quote that Steve Jobs used to use that he got off somebody named Edwin Land and Edwin Land is the guy who started Polaroid and actually was Steve Jobs's idol. But both of them used this quote and the quote um, was from Henry Ford and it's, If I'd asked people what they'd wanted to have, that I said a faster horse. You have to show people what they want. And why why it really stuck with me. It's like we have people that, and lots of brokers that want to find some way to get new customers without having to put themselves in a position to deal with rejection. That's why sales sucks. That's why making cold calls sucks. Because again, you are putting yourself in an uncomfortable position where you're likely to get rejected, right? But it's just so funny because if you look at examples of three products that I don't think anybody would say needed marketing to sell in hindsight, the iPhone, the MacBook, the Polaroid camera, and the car, right? are things you would think people, when they saw them, they would want them, right? But the reality is, is even in those cases, somebody had to sell those products. And if you think about the products that brokers are selling, they're commodities. There's not much that's differentiating your brokerage from any other brokerage other than you, the person on that phone. The differentiator is your personality and either your willingness or unwillingness to put yourself in a position to actually either get a win and make a friend and get a new customer or get rejected and to keep doing it until you give up. Right. That's why those companies are so successful But it's the same damn thing we talk about on the show on what's necessary to build a successful book of business. You've got to get out there and show people why they should be working with you. You've got to get them to trust you and know you well enough that they actually want to do business with you. That's what builds a book of business. That's the glue in our industry because nothing else holds customers. That's why you don't see brokerages sell to other companies that often because the value is all in that relationship, right? And for me, like I just—it's been—it's stuck with me for like the past week. Every time I just keep thinking about it, and I'm just like, I just feel like that's so true. No matter what it is that you're trying to sell, service or product.
0: Yeah, I agree. I agree with you, man. Well, good stuff. Great episode. That's another one in the books for us. And uh, stay tuned for some more great content coming up, Ben. Whether
1: you believe you can or believe you can, you're right. And until next time, go build. That wraps up this episode of Freight 360.
0: Check out the show notes for links to anything that we've referenced on this episode. And make sure to visit us online at Freight360.net to see our entire library of episodes, videos,
1: blogs, and more. And make sure to check us out on Facebook and subscribe to our YouTube channel for daily and weekly tips and content. If you'd like your question answered on the show, fill out the contact us form on our site and we'll see you next week.